0: Genesis 6, we're going to be speaking about God's response to man's wickedness. God's response to man's wickedness. You have your Bibles and you can follow along. We see the wickedness of man in Genesis 6. Notice verse 5. Notice verse 5. God saw the wickedness of man, how that every imagination of the thoughts of the heart were only evil continually, God saw this, He saw this. Notice in Genesis 6, 11 and 12, God saw that the earth was corrupt, and it was filled with violence. Notice in Genesis 6, 1 through 3, that the sons of God began to marry the daughters of men. That was a big part of the problem. When the followers of God began to intertwine With those who did not care much about God, that creates more wickedness, more sin, more evil in God's sight. And so see here, if you will, see here, the location of sin, Genesis 6 and verse 5, it begins in the heart, begins in the heart. Notice the association of sin, the sons of God begin to marry the daughters of men, and notice the domination of sin this was only evil continually the earth was filled with violence and so we see the wickedness of man there in Genesis 6 can we also see God's response to the wickedness of man as brother Rex was mentioning in his, in his opening remarks and prayer our, our world today, and it will always be so, our world today battles with sin. We battle with sin. What is God's response to the wickedness of man? First of all, notice it is distance. It is distance. Notice Genesis 6 <laughs> in verse 3. He says, God says, My spirit will not always strive with man. My spirit will not abide with man forever. There must be, because man is following the ways of his flesh, there must be a distance. There must be a distance. Familiar passage from Isaiah 59 in verse 2 that comments on this, where the prophet says, Your iniquities have created a separation between you and your God and your sins have hid his face from you that he will not hear." This reminds us of Paul's words in Ephesians 2 and verse 12 as he's talking to some of the Christians there in Ephesus. He says, Now remember that at one time you were Gentiles in the flesh, and at that time you were separated from Christ, you were alienated from the commonwealth of Israel, you were strangers to the covenant of promise, You were without God and without hope in this world. And so that's what happens. This is how God responds to the wickedness of man. He creates a distance that has to be. It has to be. James chapter 2 and verse 26 explains death to us. It explains death. It says that death occurs when the Spirit... Uh, is separate from the body. And he's explaining there in James 2.26 that faith without works is dead, just like the body apart from the spirit is dead. Well, notice in Ephesians 2, 1 through 3 that we are pronounced as being dead in sin. That's what death is about. Death is about a separation. Sin, our own sin, creates that distance, that separation from God. This is something that we're responsible for, but it's also something on God's side of things that has to be because of his character. His character. God is holy. God is holy. Let's walk through this for just a second. Habakkuk 1.13 says, God is so pure that he cannot even look upon evil. God is perfectly holy and in his holiness God demands justice and so sin must be punished it must be punished but just think of it this way we are helpless in our sin but God is holy in his character you got the holiness of God on one side you got the helplessness of man on the other side because of his sin. God is holy. Sin must be punished. But God is also, how thankful we are, God is loving perfectly. He is merciful. And so he decided, he decided. As he looked down and saw the helplessness of man, he decided in his great love that he would send his son to bear our sins on the tree, 1 Peter 2 and 24. He would send his son, 2 Corinthians 5 and 21, to be sin on our behalf. So that if we submit to him, then this distance doesn't have to be. God sent his son to make this happen. We read in Ephesians 2 and 13, that all those who were once afar off can be made near by the blood of Jesus. You see that? Now this is the good news. This is the good news. Now we know a little bit about distance. We've learned a little bit about distance. Having a, a, a family way out in southern Texas, we have learned a little bit more about distance. You know about distance, but then when you experience it. It is something else. We were in Texas in the latter part of July and got to be around little Sophia and Sophia's words to me was one word. She had one word for me and that was up, up. That meant for me to pick her up. And of course I was glad to do that and I did that many times. But now, We get to see her on the phone at night. And she looks, and she looks my way on the phone. She says, pop, and guess what she says? Up. I can't do a thing about it. She's looking at me and saying, up. And I'm not there. You ought to start crying about that. you had any heart about you at all. But it gives us an idea as we look around how terrible sin is and that distance that is placed between us and God when we sin. Now, we can do something about this. It is up to us to do something about the distance. Notice in James 4, verses 7 and 8, When we draw nigh to God, He draws nigh to us. So we, concerning our sin, we ought to be afflicted, mourn, and weep. Let our laughter be turned to mourning. Let our joy be turned to heaviness. We ought to see how terrible and tragic sin is and seek to draw nigh to God in His own appointed ways. This is the good news, guys. By the way, this is the good news. We talk about the gospel being the good news. This is it. Not that we're sinners, but that God was willing to do something about the distance between us and Him. This is the good news. This good news could not get any greater if I was able to lift 300 pounds over my head. It couldn't get any greater. This, this good news could not get any better if I, if I owned several businesses and was a complete billionaire. Okay. This, this good news could not get any better. It could it not be greater if I was a former NFL football player. Okay. You see what I'm trying to say? The good news is right here before us. It doesn't matter who is talking about it. We don't need a special person talking about it. We just need to see it. This is the good news that we are discussing. God responds not only to the wickedness of man with distance, but also with patience. This is implied in Genesis 6 and verse 3 when God says, My spirit will not always strive with man, will not abide with him forever. It means he has been abiding with man. He has been patient toward man. We, are, we can clearly see this in 1 Peter 3, 20 as Peter comments on this very chapter of Genesis 6 and the history of Genesis 6. Peter says in 1 Peter 3 and verse 20 that in the days of Noah, in the days of this disobedience, God waited. We see the long suffering of God in the days of Noah, it says in 1 Peter 3 and verse 20. Patience means to take a long time to boil. That's what that word means in our Bibles. It takes a long time to boil, a long time to get hot. Now God can get hot, okay? In fact, Hebrews 12 and 29 calls God a consuming fire. Our God is a consuming fire. God can get hot. But He is very patient with us. And for that we're very thankful. 1 John 4 verses 7 and 8 says God is love. And 1 Corinthians 13 says that love is patient and kind. God is perfect in His patience. God is perfect in His kindness. See this in... In one of your Psalm verses, Psalm 103 and verse uh, 14. You'll want to see this patience of God, Psalm 103 and verse 14. It doesn't just say God is patient, okay, by the way. If you don't want to turn over there, you don't want to turn over there and say, well, uh, that's just gonna say God is patient. It doesn't say that. Okay? Psalm 103, 14 says, God remembers our frame, F-R-A-M-E. And He remembers that we are but dust. You see. He's the one that created us. He understands our struggles. He understands our struggle of come overcoming sin. And He is patient with us. He, is, he suffers long with us. You see. And that's, what, that's what we want to know about God. That's how God responds uh, to the wickedness of God of man. Now there are two guys here in the New Testament that particularly needed the patience of God. They expressed this in their writings. Peter for one. Can you imagine how Peter must have felt having denied the Lord when he said he would never deny the Lord. He would never forsake the Lord. And yet he fell. He disappointed the Lord. But Peter learns, doesn't he? Second Peter 3, verse 9, Peter says, The Lord is not slack concerning His promises, as some men count slackness, but He is longsuffering toward us all, not willing that any of us should perish, but that we all should come to repentance. Now that's Second Peter 3, verse 9. If you just read down further in verse 15 of Second Peter 3, Peter actually says this. He says, Please count, that the long-suffering of God is salvation. In other words, Peter saying, My salvation absolutely depend, depends on the patience of my Lord. Can you imagine how much the patience of God meant to Peter? And what about Paul, too? Paul, having learned that he had been working so, so ferociously Religiously, but in the wrong direction against God and against Christ? How that must have felt. But Paul mentions in 1 Timothy 1 in verse 16 that God has showed him mercy. He who was the foremost of sinners, God has showed him mercy so that God's long-suffering, His perfect patience, may be displayed to everyone who might believe after Paul uh, unto eternal life. In other words, Paul thought that the, he, he thinks that the patience of God is so precious to him because God gave him the opportunity to come to Christ, but also because there would be others who would see his example and perhaps come to God as well. Now, two things about the patience of God. Two things. Don't delay responding to this kind of kindness and love. Don't respond, don't, oh, don't, don't, don't delay. Don't delay. We have such a tendency to delay. But let's never forget that Jesus could come at any time. Okay. We could die at any time. And remember how, how fast life is, fast life is. A couple generations ago, there was a gospel preacher who would come through our area, some named Tom Holland. And Tom would often speak about the, kind, the kinds of food that he likes. He did not like boiled okra. And he said the reason he didn't like boiled okra, and I'm right there with him, by the way. I like fried okra, but boiled okra. But He, he said the reason he didn't like boiled okra is because he didn't get a chance to eat it. He didn't get a chance to bite into it. He said it was down the hatch before he knew it. But he would often say that's how life is. As James says, James 4, 13 and 14, you know, life is like a vapor that appears for a little time and then vanishes away. You turn around and life is just about gone. Let us not put off, let us not delay responding to the patience of God. But also, looking in your your Bibles to Romans 2, 3 and 4, Let let us not abuse the patience of God. You'll notice there in Romans 2, 3 and 4, that the patience of God can be abused. Okay. Paul is talking to some Christians who were favorable toward judging other people and their, their, their sins, but they were practicing the same things. And Paul asked them in Romans 2 and verse 3, he said, Oh man of God, do you think you're going to escape the judgment of God? Just because you're able to point out other people's sins and you're doing similar types of sins, you think you're going to escape the judgment of God don't don't go thinking that and then in verse 4 he says or do you despise the kindness forbearance and long-suffering of God not knowing that the the long-suffering of God the patience of God is to lead to repentance We've gotta be very careful in other words Paul is saying don't just presume don't just assume that because things are well with you, I mean, I've got a, I've got a car, I've got a place to live, I've got, I got a family, I've, I've got a little something to spend, I've got some hobbies. Paul's saying, don't just assume that because things are well with you that God is pleased with you Okay. Remember the the foundational purpose of God's kindness and patience toward us is that we would repent. Okay, it's right there in Romans two, uh, three, and four. You can see it uh, for yourself. Okay, so how does God respond to the wickedness of men? Distance, patience, and then He also responds by despondence, despondence, despondence. That is sadness. Sadness. You see it there in Genesis 6 and verse 6. God saw the wickedness of man, that all his imaginations of his heart was only evil continually. It says there in Genesis 6 verse 6 that God regretted that he had made man and it grieved him at his heart. You see that? Maybe we don't talk enough about the the grief of God toward our sins. I'll tell you one thing right now. Let me, and you just think about it too. I don't want God to look down at me and say, I regret that I made Him. I regret that I have cleansed Him from His sins. I regret that I have blessed Him. Okay? That is a reality, folks. Look at, look at Genesis 6 and verse 6. This is what God said. God said, I, ha- I regret... That I have made man. It grieves me at my heart. I hope God would never look down at me and say that. I got a feeling He has sometimes. The grief of God towards sin is is spelled out several times in the Bible. I want to look at Mark chapter 3 with you, verses 1 through 5. Mark chapter 3, 1 through 5. We're still studying here. Mark 3, 1 through 5. Jesus is in synagogue. It's the Sabbath day. There's a man there who has a withered hand. Jesus is about to heal him. Jesus also knows that some of the Jews are ready to judge him for doing this work on the Sabbath day. He looked to them. He said, is it lawful for a man on the Sabbath day to do good or to do harm? Is it lawful for a man on the Sabbath day to kill or to save life? They didn't say anything. Jesus looked around about them with anger and it grieved him. Notice that in your Bible, Mark 3, around verse 5. It grieved Jesus because of the hardness of their heart. You, see, you want to grieve God? Have a hard heart. Be insensitive to the needs of other people and you will be grieving God. You see, God responds to the wickedness of man through despondence. Ephesians 4 and verse 30 talks about grieving the Holy Spirit. Grieving the Holy Spirit. It's possible for us to grieve God. Grieve the Holy Spirit. The verses on either side of Ephesians 4 verse 30 are interesting. On Ephesians 4.29 says, let no corrupt communication, let no corrupt communication come out of your mouth. If that happens, you're grieving God. Now on the other side, down in Ephesians 4.31, it says, Let all bitterness and wrath and anger and malice be put away from you and be willing to forgive each other as God and Christ has forgiven you. When we don't do that, when we have bitterness, malice, and, and anger, then we are grieving God, you see. Well, here's the thing. Our God has feelings. And those feelings can be hurt. <laughs> And are we willing to pursue a life or pursue a heart or develop a heart that hurts God, hurts God? We were studying with the young folks this morning in class and we were talking about uh, godly sorrow from 2 Corinthians 7. Godly sorrow leads to repentance. Godly sorrow is realizing just how hurtful our sins are toward God. You now, let me ask you: Would you intentionally insult your mother? Would you intentionally do harm to your mom, the very lady who took care of you from from wee uh, years all the way up? Most people say, "I would not do that." And why would you? Why would God is really the giver of life? He's the giver of hope. Why would we want to insult him or to hurt him? God responds to the wickedness of man through distance, through patience, and through despondence, and also uh, through (coughs) benevolence. You see there in Genesis 6 and verse 8 that Noah found grace in the eyes of the Lord. It was there, but only Noah could find it. This is the difference between Noah and everybody else on earth in those days. the Thousands and thousands, millions of people really uh, on earth during the days of Noah. The difference is Noah could see God and they couldn't. How is it that Noah was able to see God? Next verse, Genesis 6 verse 9. Noah was a righteous man. Noah was blameless or perfect in his generation and Noah walked with God. Now when we pursue God by doing right things and by seeking to do His will and by walking with Him every day, we'll be able to see how favorable He is toward mankind. And God wants to help us. 1 Timothy 2 verse 4 says, He would have all men to be saved and come to the knowledge of the truth. Ephesians 2 verse 4 says that though we're dead in our trespasses and sins, yet God is rich in mercy and He has great love wherewith He loves us. If you want to sum up the grace of God, then underline this statement from Nehemiah 9 and 17. Okay? Nehemiah 9 and 17. You'll want to find this and underline it. Underline it. But our God is a God ready to pardon he is a God ready to pardon. Nehemiah is going back over the history of God's people, how they even wanted to go back to Egypt, you know, during the days of the wilderness wanderings. But God did not forsake them, Nehemiah says, Nehemiah 9:17. God was ready to pardon them. He was slow to anger. He was patient, benevolent, kind toward them. And then finally, God responds to the wickedness of man through vengeance. Vengeance. We said earlier that God is a consuming fire. Walk with me if you don't mind for a minute or two. Back to Genesis 6. Notice what God says. Genesis 6 and verse number 7. The Lord said, I will blot out man whom I have created from the face of the land man and animals and creeping things and birds of the heavens for i am sorry that i have made them notice genesis 6 and verse 13 genesis 6:13 god said to noah i have determined to make an end of all flesh for the earth is filled with violence through them behold i will destroy them with the earth genesis 6:13 notice genesis 6:17 for behold god says I will bring a flood of waters upon the earth to destroy all flesh which is in the, in the breath of life. I will destroy all flesh with the breath of life under heaven. Genesis 6 and verse 17. Notice Genesis 7 and verse 4. Genesis 7 and verse 4. For in seven days, he says, I will send rain on the earth Forty days and forty nights, and every living thing that I have made, I will blot out from the face of the ground. Notice Genesis 7 and verse 22. Genesis 7 and 22. Everything on the dry land, in in whose nostrils was the breath of life, died. Died. God promised what He would do in His vengeance, and He fulfilled it. This is how God responds to the wickedness of man. Vengeance. This is a theme that's taken up in the book of Romans. If you want to notice, Romans 11 and verse 22, Paul says, behold, and that's a strong word there, behold, uh, Romans 11 and 22, behold, take a look, take hold of this fact, behold the goodness and severity of God. God is severe to those who have fallen he says but to those of you who are kind and good God is good but continuing God's kindness lest you also be cut off Romans 11 uh, 22 Romans 12 and verse 19 you remember the The idea that Paul expressed, avenge not yourselves, he says. For vengeance belongs to God. Give place to the wrath of God, he says. For vengeance belongs to God. God says, I will repay. Our job is to be kind, considerate. Romans 12, verse 20. 20. If your enemy hungers, then feed him, feed her. If your enemy is thirsty, then feed her, feed him. Overcome evil with good. Do not be overcome with evil, but overcome evil with good. In Hebrews chapter 12, this theme of vengeance is taken up again. Hebrews 12, verse uh, verse 30, where uh, it makes reference to God saying that that vengeance is mine; I will repay. And then another statement from God is that uh, He will judge His people, and then. Hebrews 10 verse 31 says, It is a fearful thing to fall into the hands of uh, the living God. Hebrews 12 29 once again says, God is a consuming fire. Notice that in 2 Thessalonians 1 verse 8, On judgment day God will, will come. On judgment day He will come in flaming fire. 2 Thessalonians 1 verse 8, He will come in flaming fire, rendering vengeance to those who do not know God and those who do not obey uh, the gospel. But you see, earlier we said that God has brought us good news. We don't have to face His vengeance. The people in Noah's day did not have to face His vengeance. If they had listened to Noah, well, 2 Peter 2 verse 5 calls Noah a preacher of righteousness. So as Noah and his sons prepared the ark, they also were preaching about God's righteousness. They could have joined Noah and his family in the ark had they so chosen. There was good news to be found. There was the grace of God to be found in Noah's day. There is the grace of God to be found today. We don't have to face the vengeance of God if we will but submit to His holy will. I find it very interesting that not only in Genesis 6 are we assured that God will fulfill His promises, but we also see a lot about God Himself. And this morning we have seen God responds with distance, patience, despondence, sadness, benevolence, vengeance. Perhaps we've been able to remind ourselves a little bit about who God is. Perhaps we've been reminded this morning of how precious the blood of Jesus is. What is your relationship to the Lord and Savior? Where do you stand in your sin? All of us sin. It's just a matter of of our response to the kindness and patience of God. We would love to help anyone this morning. We'd love to sit down and study, pray, whatever it might take to help anyone. This is is what life is really about. Where are we at before our God? We had a preacher who would come through. When I was younger, I grew up at the church near smith Lake, and Curry Church of Christ that's basically where I grew up. The preacher who would come through every once in a while his name was named Jack Exum. Jack Exum. Jack had a lot of stories to tell and he told about a little boy who was praying one night. And he was praying a very familiar prayer, now I, now I lay myself down to sleep and uh, pray the Lord my soul to keep but if I should die. And when the boy got to that part of the prayer, one night, and his mom was listening. She was looking at her boy, her little boy was kneeling beside his bed, and he was saying his prayer, and she was listening, and as he got to that part, if I should die, he got up and ran somewhere. He ran out of the room, down the hallway. He came back a couple minutes later and continued his prayer. After his prayer, his mom said, where did you go and what were you doing during the prayer? He said, When I said, If I should die, he said, I remembered that I had taken my sister's baby dolls and hid them in a closet just to be mean to her. And he just thought, Well, if I should die, I don't want her to be hurt. And so he went and got those baby dolls out of the closet and put them on his sister's bed. The little boy had a conscience before God. And that's what God is looking, He's looking toward us. And He's saying, where's your conscience? Do you have a conscience? Do you have thoughts of me? Are you willing to do something about it? We invite you home to the loving arms of our Savior. Will you come this morning as we stand and as we sing?